they're awesome, aren't they? Yeah. Very grateful to have them. Well, good morning. We are starting a new series uh, today, so we're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Gio Garces. I serve as an evangelist here at Shoreline. It's a privilege and an honor to be before you this morning to really talk about something very, very important, very spectacular, as a matter of fact, and that is this understanding of transforming grace. And when you really understand grace, it changes everything. It's a game life changer. It changes everything about how you view the world, how you view yourself, how you view God. Let me give you an analogy. If I gave a married couple right now who has two full-time jobs, five dollars, here, here's five bucks, guys, I want to help you out. You'd be like, meh. I'll give it to my kid. It wouldn't impact you. You're like, five bucks does not make me grateful. It makes my kid grateful, but it doesn't make me grateful. If I slapped down a suitcase, opened it up, $10 million, you'd be like, I'm very grateful. I'm th- for me? You'd be like, me? This is for me? You quit your job. I quit. No. Everything would change. Your life would change. Your lifestyle would change. Pina coladas. Everything would change. <laughs> everything you do in your life would change from that moment. And that is what you understand what grace does for you. And maybe you've been a Christian a while. And you know you hear the word grace and you're like, eh. Eh. I've heard many sermons on grace. Well, I hope this one today will help you really get a deeper appreciation for God, because that's what God wants us to understand. It's a series about grace, and so um, it's entitled Grace, Who Needs It? Well, number one, a sinner needs it. People that aren't at church, right, are a sinner, and they need it. One who lives outside of God's loving kindness, and that's what grace is. Grace is really God's kindness, God's mercy, it's unmerited, meaning you don't have to do a thing to get it. In fact, if you try to do something for it, you in fact won't get it. God wants you in the state where He wants you to understand where you don't deserve it at all. Like when I, when I give you the analogy of $10 million, you didn't deserve it. You didn't work for it. It was a gift to you and it changed everything about how you're going to live your life. And that's what transforming grace does. And maybe you were like, well, I remember I, used to, I felt that way when I became a Christian. Maybe 10 years later, you're like, yeah, I'm saved by grace. Yeah. The second person is a good-hearted Christian. One who tries his best, but falls short. Maybe you're one of them. I do my best, but I fall short. Yes, you need grace. And thirdly, how about the righteous Christian who's glad they're not a sinner? I go to church. I give my contribution. I'm involved. I'm committed. I'm just glad I'm not like those people. Okay? Grace is an unmerited favor from God. It's another way of saying God's crazy love. God's crazy in love with us. And it's crazy to think that I can't do anything to receive that. Salvation, heaven, being with Him, living forever. There's not nothing you can do to get that. That's God's crazy love. So, I'm going to talk to you about this. To understand this, how to get your heart here where it transform you, we got to understand what grace is not. I think there's a misconception of what, what grace is, and hopefully we can clear that up today. So grace is not God making up the difference for me being a good-hearted Christian. God doesn't make, I'm going to try my best and if I fall short, God makes up the rest. That is not what grace is. He, he's not the God that says, try your best, then I'll cover the rest. Your parents may do that. 
You know, I tell my kids, all I want from you is give me your best effort at school, at sports, in relationships, in our dynamic at home. Give me your best effort. Because the Bible does say give your effort, right? Try. Right. Right? But when we, try to, when we try things to try to get something from God, we lose the aspect of what grace really is. And it becomes a, meh, I've tried enough. I've done enough for God. It sounds generous, but actually there's a problem with that kind of thinking. It's a grave misunderstanding of the grace of God, and it gives us a very inadequate view of our own plight as sinners before a holy God. So when we've we're, we're got this deal, if I do my best and I fall short, you cover the rest, that's a misunderstanding. It's a grave misunderstanding of what grace is. Because grace is, is at the very heart of the gospel. That's why it's so important to understand this concept. In Isaiah 55... It reads this. Come all of you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without cost. Come. God invites you to something. And it's addressed to those who have no money. No good works. And the gospel invites you to come and buy something, buy salvation, without money, without cost. No, it doesn't address, it only addresses those with no money, not those who don't have enough money. It's the people with no money. Grace is not a matter of God making up the difference. But, but, but matter of factly, it's God providing all the cost of salvation. God has covered it all. And when we start to think, because we come to church on Sunday, it ups my chances, you are gravely mistaken. Because that turned into a rat race in itself. Because coming to church every Sunday gets kind of tiring and mundane. Having a quiet time gets mundane. Meh, I had one. I can't understand what I'm reading. I just opened the Bible and... I'm going to read that. I don't even know what I read. You know, it's an interesting thing because Paul, the missionary, one of the greatest missionaries uh, in the New Testament, said this as he wrote to the Roman church. There is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you have stolen nickel from your mom or you were immoral or you did drugs, or even murdered someone, or you're a lawbreaker in the sight of God, there is no difference. You are not farther from God if you stole a nickel. The guy that nickel can think, well, I am closer to God because I didn't really destroy people's lives. But in God's view, everyone is the same. The moment you stole a nickel separates us from God. Now, the difference is repercussions, consequences. If I kill someone, I'm going to be you know, locked up in life in prison right that's, that's a consequence of my sin but the distance I have from God we're all the same mm-hmm. we're all in the same boat there is no difference he also says this there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female for you all one in Christ there is no difference between someone who's Jewish that's a religious person a churchgoer a God fearer versus a Greek guy who doesn't care about God who doesn't know about God who lives his life his own way you know he says look it 
We're, we're all the same. Just because you go to church doesn't make you better than the guy who doesn't go to church. When you start thinking that way, you start depreciating what grace is. You depreciate, you devalue it. There's no difference between the religious and the irreligious, between the most decent moral person and the most degenerate person. Because you can't earn it by your good behavior. There are some sinners worse than others, right? When I say sinner, you don't think of yourself. You think, I know a person. I know somebody. He's sitting right next to me. That's a sinner. You should have seen what my spouse said this morning. And we start, you know, looking at everybody else and not our own self. And so thus, we don't, we're not living this transformation life. We live this mundane life. Even the disciples in this room who have been faithful Christians. When you hear the word grace, you're like, yes, grace. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. Which, which, which variation are you going to give me today? I've heard many lessons. Many lessons on grace. Think about the Grand Canyon for a second. Now, I don't know this person on the picture. I just took it off the internet. It's a random person. I have no clue who she is. But I wanted a picture of the background because all the, grand, all the other ones had low resolution. This one was a high resolution with the background. So I'm like, all right, I don't know you, but I'm sure people will laugh at you. Okay. So here is the Grand Canyon. Now, if Josh Massey, one of our most athletic college students, tries to jump and jumps 30 feet, he's going to land right in the, right in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Uh-huh. Now, if I grab, you know, like, Lewis, not so athletic, but looks good-looking, uh, he jumps and he, and he only goes six feet. You know, they, and they both did their best to cross the Grand Canyon. They both gave their best effort. And where did they end up? In the, in the sinkhole, in death. They died. They are another story in the Grand Canyon. When you go to the shop, there are many deaths of the Grand Canyon. It's a big, thick volume book of how many people have died there. They'd be in that book for jumping over, trying to clear, and they wouldn't be the first, right? So, with that analogy in mind, it, it, there is a vast, vast distance between us trying to get there, and God doesn't build a bridge 30 feet short of where Lewis and, and Josh and 6 feet short of where they, where they, where they jump down. God, God builds the whole bridge across. He doesn't build it where they, okay, 30 feet, we're going to build the bridge all the way up to 30 because Lewis tried his best and I'm going to meet Lewis where he failed. No. That is not what the grace of God is. Almost no one tries to earn their way to heaven. Because if I asked you that, you'd be like, no, of course not. Rather, everyone assumes that you're doing enough and sufficiently enough to go to heaven. You used to assume. I'm going because I go to church. I'm going because I studied the Bible and I, I saw my sin and I repented and I got baptized. I'm going to heaven. Automatic. And we assume based on things that we've done because we repented. Because we got baptized. Because we go to church now. And we go to the Bible. And I'm a nice neighbor now. I'm a nice person now. I stop punching people in the face. Right? I stop breaking car windshields with my fists. I mean, there's a lot of things that you've changed. We're not making a sincere effort to increase the, the, you know, the, the distance, the, 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 the length of... I can't go 31 feet. No. But in our minds... 
We want to narrow the Grand Canyon to match our best effort. We want to move it in. If I just, if I jump, God moves it in. I'm in heaven. I did it. I made it. Because we expect God will accept you because you think you're already doing enough. And that's a great misunderstanding. This passage here in Luke describes our hearts to a T at times. See, Jesus told this parable. You know, the Pharisees were pretty confident. They were churchgoers. They, they, they respected God's word. They lived uh, in a form of godliness. And he said this to, to, to them in a parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, that is a, a church-going, God-abiding, God-conscious person, good-hearted. He goes to the temple. And the other, a tax collector, one of the most vile people in the community. The Romans would hire someone locally from Ventura County. Let's say that you know the Empire Darth Vader hires one of you to collect our taxes. We hate that guy. You should just turn down the job. Don't accept it. But that's, a ta- that's what a tax collector did. He was one of their own who collected taxes for the Roman Empire, and people hated them because they mostly took one for Caesar, one for me, right? They would take money. So there's a tax collector, a vile person. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I want to thank you for my family. Thank you for uh, my life, my wife, my kids. Thank you for uh, giving me a great house and a good job. And Right? Thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I don't cheat on my wife. Thank you for my pure dating relationship. Thank you for my marriage. Or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Well, maybe not a tenth, Lord, I give. You know, I try to give my best there. Maybe I give three. I'm trying. Can't get rid of the car yet. Can't, can't, can't lower my lifestyle because I'm in California. I gotta keep up with the uh, Joneses. So. I'm getting there, Lord. Meet me halfway, Lord, on that one. But the rest, give me grace, right? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, a sign of anguish, and said, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner." I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is a parable for people who are confident in their own salvation. When you're confident, transforming grace is, eh, I'm making it. I'm in. I'm in like Flynn. And that's a mistake we make in our minds. I got baptized 20 years ago. I'm in. Yeah. But am I transformed? Am I, am I growing? Am I transforming? Am I changing? They may at the moment in life reflect that they're not perfect by any means. But we think we're basically good people. That's what this Pharisee said. I'm a good guy. I'm definitely not like that like that guy. I'm a good guy. 
And the great problem is that we have is that most of us really don't believe we're all that bad. We don't. Come on, who does that? It's California. So Cal. Everything's awesome here, right? Our internet's the fastest, right? We're the best. We think we're ordinary. We're nice, friendly neighbors. We're neither extraordinarily good nor extraordinarily bad. We're just kind of there. And so Paul and the Jewish and the Greek culture were at odds because the Jewish thought that the Greeks or the, or the, or the heathens needed to do more before God. So, Rome, so the question was to Paul, who's better, a Jew or a sinner Greek? As, as in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, he addresses this very question. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Am I, the Christian, any better than that guy who's not here? He says, not at all. We have already made the charge of Jews and Gentiles alike or all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no good, no one who is good, not even one. Not even one. Hey, wait a minute, Gio, I, but I'm a Christian. Not maybe your problem in your thinking, because you think you're good. And when you think you're good, you think, I'm good enough. I'm good enough to get to heaven. Therefore, you're working your way in. I've done enough good things in my life. This is hard for you who've been a faithful Christian. Because of what that sinner did, he went before God, spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing good about me. I'm terrible. Transforming grace, right? I'm pretty good. I'm decent. Yeah, thanks for my wife and kids, God. Appreciate it. Thanks for the good church. Jesus is doing a good job. Appreciate it. Yeah. We walk away mundane quiet times. There's nothing transforming happening in our lives. Because we think we're already good. We got it. Why is there no difference? For those sitting here and those who are not here. Because God sums up our nature like this. He, he made us. He knows us. He says, listen, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. If you don't know what sheep, sheep are pretty, um, they're pretty dumb animals. Right? They have, they have no teeth. They go, but they have no teeth. You can put your hand in, 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 their, in their mouth and they won't, they won't really bite your hands off. But they have all these teeth. They're like, oh, they're scary, but when they nothing. And they always wander away. They're always wandering away. That's why the shepherd's like, okay, wait, with this rod. He's got to go, rod, right? Each of us has turned to his own way. This statement, this scripture, at its very core is our nature. And that is sin. At our very core, we want to go our own way. At our very core. In Romans 7, it says, The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And the question is begged, do I ever have a valid good reason to be rebellious before God? The answer is no. Sometimes I feel like I can because I've clocked in enough years in the kingdom. Can I splurge a little bit? I mean, near 20 years. Can I, can I get a, you know, 
Can you lower the bar a little bit? I'm going to go all the way. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to fall away. Sometimes I want a little grace. I want to sin it up a little bit. Going, yeah, make me, make me more grateful. Appreciate my sin more. You know how broken you are when you when you know you went out one night. And you're like, whoa, I fell away last night. And that morning you're like, God help me. But in our nature, we stray every day. Why is the night of reckless living so much worse than the night the, night, the day you didn't have a quiet time? The way you're self-righteous, the way you're angry, the way you're moody, the way you're irritable, the way you're selfish. Why don't those days equal the days where you went out and you just pillaged the land? Why is that day more worse than this day? Because in your mind, you go, hey, it's not, I'm a good guy, it's not that bad. Hey, you know, it was a night with the friends. I saw an old friend, it was a doozy, I don't know what to do. You know, I was like, hey, what happened? You know, I got caught up, I don't know what happened. And then we're all broken, we get open about that. Help me, help me, help me. What about all the other six days of the week? Nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. You see how we start to think? And we lose this this mindset of how we can be transformed by grace. Some of us go like, well, what should we say? Should we go on sinning? I want to upgrade, uptake my my grace. So So grace may increase. I'm saved by grace, aren't I, Gio? Yes, it's true. By no means. By no means. The only reason why we rebel is because we were born rebellious. You were born rebellious. We were born with a perverse inclination to go our own way, set up our own rules, and live by us versus submit to God. That's how we were born. It's not that we became rebellious because of our environment. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm this way because I had tough parenting. My dad wasn't around. That's why I'm, a, I'm an extra sinner. Right? No, we were born that way. Because the same thing happens to good moral people. Think of our children, right? Our, you know, you guys are good moral people. Think about your kids. You can't even close to convince me that our kids aren't crazy rebellious. Even at two, they're like, I'm doing my thing. Yeah. I'm doing my thing. Oh, is this thing on? Is this thing on? No, no. And they ignore you. No, no. They ignore you. Oh, yeah, they're rebellious even when they're little. Right? They want to do it their way because they know from the very birth of it, they were there. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me because the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, it made us created with an inclination to go our own way. To do what we want to do. To reject God. So we minimize our rejection. If I sin big, then I'm really rebellion. If I sin small, I'm definitely covered by grace. We, we kind of have our own rules. We set up our own measuring rod of, hey, how good am I, am I doing really? The Bible teaches us that all have sinned. And you would agree with that. Some more than others. Right? I shouldn't look at anybody directly. Some more than others. Right? I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just saying some more than others. Right? You know who you are. Right? Some of my best friends were the worst sinners. <clears throat> right? It's how we view... Yes, I was talking about Steve. 
I thought I was a sinner. I'm not even close. He's lucky his heart's still beating. Here's our problem. Here's why we're not transformed. You ready for it? You have a shallow view of sin. It's just a shallow view of it. You, you don't think it's that bad. You, just, just, you have a shallow view of what sin is. So I'm going to give you some examples of some really awesome people and how God viewed them. Okay? We're going to look at them in the Bible here. Because we use words like, instead of sin, we use like, oh, I was defeated today. <laughs> oh, I failed today. I'm struggling today. And we want to make the shallow version of, hey, I just rebelled against the holy God today. Whoever says that? I'm in rebellion. No, no, I had a tough day. Yeah, a tough day. We want to say everything but what the Bible says that what we should call it. Okay? And I'm going to go over that. The Bible uses words like wickedness. Uses words like rebellion. Those will wake me up in the morning. That's better than coffee for me. I'm wicked. That'll that'll alert my senses going, I better examine what I'm doing in my relationship with God. Let's take a look of David. The guy after God's own heart. The man who has loved God. And uh, he, he, he goes on the rooftop. Sees a woman that's on his wife. He invites her to his castle. He has sexual relations with her. She gets pregnant. And then he conspires to kill her husband to cover up the crime. And this is a man after God's own heart. And God says to the prophet Nathan, Why did you despise? Look at that word, despise. The word of the Lord. By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You know, he had one of those nights that you want to forget. It wasn't failure. He, He wasn't struggling. God calls it, You've despised my word. That's how he told David. He despised my word. This is a guy who was pretty awesome. Would you not agree? There is no difference. The next guy. He was just a no-name prophet. God gave him specific instructions not to stop and eat anywhere. And so some guy told him, Hey man, God said to stop and eat. This is what happens. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord. And not kept the command your Lord, your God, gave you. We have despised. And all this guy did was have a meal with someone. On the road. But God says, don't stop anywhere. Go straight there. And don't stop and don't eat with anybody. And this guy goes, hey man, well God gave me revelation. And said you can eat. God, you know, God told me, you can have eight beers tonight. It's totally cool. It's totally cool. I'll drive home. I'll drive home. It's totally cool. God told me it's okay. You know, I read an article once that said, you know, you can have an open marriage and it can be healthy. You know, God, you know, pornography is not that bad. It doesn't destroy lives. It's overstated. I read an article about it. They did a study about that. I can grab all the data I want. And that's what happened to this guy. This guy came in with information that says, I got it from the Lord. And he, and he sat down and ate. And then he died. And the word that is used here is that you have defied. Again, the picture about what sin is. These are prophets. These are good men. 
And God says, you despise my word, you have defied my word. Let me give you another example of, uh, of this man here. Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah. This is Joshua the high priest. He holds the highest office in Israel. He goes to, into the tent to, to, to get forgiveness of his own sin and the, and the sins of the people. He is a very well respected man of God. He is the high priest. And then it, it shows him in, the, in this, in, this uh, 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 in the scriptures then he showed me Josiah, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. This is not a prodigal son. This is the high priest. This is Joshua. Yet he's dressed, shown, in filthy clothes. And that filthiness depicts this corruption of what sin does to us. Of himself and also the people that he he oversees. This is why the Bible doesn't speak about making up the difference. For your good efforts, your good-hearted tries. God doesn't make up the rest. God takes care of it completely. We worship a God that says this. He speaks of a God that we worship. He justifies the wicked. And that's what you saw with the, with the sinner who entered the temple with the Pharisee. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. When was the last time you uttered those words? On a regular day. On your good day. In fact, that on your best day. Do you ever utter that on your best day? Man, you hit a home run. You were, you were sharing your faith. You had your quiet time. Everything was going spiritual. And you're like, man, I haven't sinned all day, man. I'm good, man. I'm good. And you go pray, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I'll bet you there was a sin in there. Usually, as I, have, I usually have three or four sins by 8.05 in the morning. They're there. They're there. Then I have the lunchtime special sin. Right? It's, it's, it's everywhere. Right? Our God is found by those who do not seek Him. 20 years ago, I was sitting on the college campus. I was not seeking God. I was not looking for God. I didn't, want to, I didn't, I didn't remotely think about God. I thought about me. That about my sinner ways, our good ways, right? That was me. And here came a guy, shares his faith, says the Bible with me, and I see it. I was not looking. Let's go back to the tax collector. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me. Sinner. This man, rather than the other, went home justified. Of course, the sinner didn't say, God, thanks for making up the difference. 
That was a sign of anguish. He declared spiritual bankruptcy. There is nothing good about me. Yeah, I shared my faith today, but I'm a wretch. And when you come in contact with God, thank you for grace. See, the problem is that we do good works and we chalk them up like, yeah, that's good, that's good. I'm on a roll, man. Maybe Jill's going to ask me to preach because I am doing, I'm on fire. I should lead a Bible talk because I'm doing cranking. But in reality, this is where God wants us to be every day. That's how grace begins to transform. We're going to talk about grace in the series, but to even get the concept, you've got to understand, you've got a shallow view of sin. You don't take it seriously. You just shrug it off like, hey, i got grace, man. Shh. Little shake, little... It's off. The Lord is good. And you walk around that for a while, you become numb. And you numb out. And you start thinking, I'm working my way. You'll never admit it, but that's what you're doing. You're working your way to heaven. We need our God not to make up the difference. What we need God to do is to provide a remedy for our guilt. That's what we want God to do. We need His grace to satisfy His justice. To cancel a debt in our lives that we can never repay. That's what we want from God. Please cancel this debt. Please cancel my sin because I can never repay it. I can never make it right. So I ask you, why are you doing that? I'm not saying don't do good things for the Lord. I'm saying in your mind and in the deep acres of your heart. Stop thinking that you're this awesome person. Because you're going to miss the grace. I'm not saying walk around either going, I'm a worthless, no good, nothing's good about me. That's worldly, all right. There's a, there's a perspective about that too. God doesn't want you to jump up. I'm going to the Grand Canyon this weekend, Gio. You're right, God can't make it up. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying you need to take sin much more seriously in your life if you're going to be transformed by grace. The littlest of it, the rebellion, the corruption in your nature. Think about it. Here's one question. Do you invite people in your lives? No, because you're embarrassed with the corruption. That's why you don't invite people in. Because you think, well, he's a better person than me. He's going to think I'm terrible. Well, let me tell you a secret. You are, you are terrible. And so is he. And when two terrible people get together, grace comes out of that. An understanding that, hey, we're both trying to make it thanks. Churches today, they don't want to be in each other's lives. They want to keep you at a distance. They, they, they want you, hey, on Sundays, and that's it. Our church, we want to be involved in your life because we know, like, hey, it's tough out there. It's, sin, it's a sinner's world. It's my world. And I want to be real. Grace has, has meaning only. It only has meaning when we see ourselves as fallen and unworthy of salvation and that we are liable to wrath. <laughs> That's when grace starts meaning something. Not on that one splurge day where you really blew it, but every day. Because responding to grace, who needs it? Who needs grace? Both sinner and saints. The most conscientious, dutiful, hard-working Christian needs God's grace as much as the most lost, 
hard living sinner out there. We both need it. All of us need the same grace. Neither our merits or demerits, meaning what we do good or what we do bad, determines how much grace we need. Because grace does not supplement merits or supplement demerits. Does it? Grace transforms us when we realize that I am a wretched sinner. Yeah, I've been a Christian 20 years, man. But that's a tw- can, you, can you imagine if you can count the sins? See, I only count the major ones. That's my problem. I count the big ones, you know. The little ones, there's probably millions of them. But I, I'm like, I don't want to recognize those right now. So I always chalk up the big ones. I chuck up the big fights where Karen leaves the house because I'm being a jerk, right? I need grace, God. Right? That's when I need grace. I need grace every day. God opposes the proud. That's a sin that the moment you become aware of your environment, it happens. We wake up proud. When someone asks us in our house to do something we don't want to do, we usually have a proud response. Do it yourself. No, I'm not doing that. Right? The moment you, you're aware of people are in your, in, in, your, in your house and you're asked to do something you don't want to do, it's boom, there it is. There's one. 805. Can you help me with the kids this morning? No, i got to go to work. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Can you help me with the sandwich? No, i got to go to work. I'll get fired. We're gone. Gives grace to the humble. To those who say, God... I know I've been a faithful servant, but thank you for 20 years of my life being a mess and you saving it. The moment we start thinking that we're super awesome, my marriage is awesome, my kids are awesome, you're trying to earn it. You're trying to earn it. Here's the principle of grace. To the extent you are clinging to any vestige of self-righteousness or putting any confidence in your own spiritual attainment, to that degree... You are not living by the grace of God in your life. You're not living by it. And we want to live by grace. When we understand grace and how it works, it begins to transform our thinking. And that's where it starts. Here's an attitude. is a famous old, old saying I want to close out. I hope, I hope it rings true to you as it rung true to me when I saw it. It reads this. Nothing in my hand... I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Let grace transform our lives. I'll see you next week.